Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Maria F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm from County Dublin in Ireland, and I'll be your host for today's study. Our co-hosts today are Nancy J., Sue L., Audrey N., and Nancy, sorry, I said Nancy J. If you have any questions or any concerns during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts, and you can do this by private message in the chat function. Please note that the speaker today, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the workshop. However, the question and answer session which follows, that will not be recorded. And today that will be hosted by Sue L. We also ask if you could please make sure that you keep your microphones on mute at all times during today's study. And also please turn off your video if you're exercising, if you're eating, or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason, please do disconnect your camera. We also will disable the chat function for the duration of the workshop. We'll open up the chat, chat function 10 minutes before Q&A. So if you've got any questions that you'd like to ask Harlan, um, please do. If you don't want to speak, please put them into the chat function and then Sue will call out the question out to Harlan. So we'll now turn over the meeting to Harlan G in Scottsdale, Arizona. Good morning to you, Harlan. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. I'm very, very glad to be here. And... Uh... Since this is the time when we are most happy to be living in Arizona, you can eat your hearts out. It is now 66 degrees, headed for 71. So it's quite pleasant here, very, very pleasant here. So glad to be here. I hope you're having a great day. And I hope whether you're listening to this on a podcast or you're listening to this live, as I'm doing it, that you're, you're doing well. We have been talking about step number three, and the, some of the misconceptions about step three are that in step three, you turn something over to God or you turn your life and your will over to God and nothing could be further from the truth. In step three, all you're doing is you are making a decision to do the rest of these steps. You're making a decision to do four through 12 every day for the rest of your life. And when you do 10s, 11s, and 12s, you're doing four through 12 every day. And you are just taking an assessment now in, in this part of the book. And when we get started, we're going to get started on page 62. This is the how and the why of it. We're going to start on page 62, bottom paragraph. This is the how and the why of it. What we've talked about so far is that we need to take a very honest assessment of ourselves. Am I a compulsive overeater? And there are questions that we want to ask ourselves. The first question is, can I stop eating certain things once I've started? And because that goes to the allergy of the body, that means we have half the disease right there. About half the disease is the allergy, the other half being in the mind. But I cannot, once I start eating candy, once I start eating Doritos, cookies, potato chips, French fries, fried foods, bagels, challah, once I start eating certain things, there is no way for me to get the toothpaste back in the tube. I am absolutely at that moment 
beyond my control, beyond anything that I can control. And that zeal that I have, that zeal that I have for more and more food was something I could not and did not understand at any level. It seemed to me, and I was right, that when my friends would eat food, the more they ate, the less food they wanted, the less interested in food they became. In my body, the more I ate, the more I want, the more I want, the more I eat, the more I eat, the more I want. And it's just endless. It's endless. And the other half of it is in my mind because I have a twist of the mind that blocks in on that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly for me by eating certain foods. Steamed broccoli will just not, not fill the bill. Uh, steamed cauliflower will not fit the bill. What I want are all the things I just talked about. I'd rather be intimate with Captain Crunch than intimate with any other human being on the face of the earth because he can offer me a comfort level that nobody else can offer me because he's loaded with sugar. So Colonel Sanders, uh, little, you know, it's Saturday night. I'd have my threesome tonight, me, little Debbie and Sarah Lee. And once in a while, if we got real Randy, we would invite Ben and Jerry. We would invite Colonel Sanders. Maybe we would invite Wendy or Ronald McDonald. It just depended on the mood that we were in at that time. But the bottom line is, is that food does something for me, for me, that nothing else seems to do. And when we have open discussions about the buildup of human emotions, we often think of little babies, little tiny infants who are compulsive overeaters. And we say, well, how can a little baby have a buildup of human emotions? They don't have bills to pay. They don't have BS to put up with. You know, they don't seemingly have any problems. But here's what little babies do exemplify for us very, very beautifully. However it is, whatever it is they seem to be feeling at any moment seems to get enormously better once they've eaten certain foods. So we see that the food acts like a sedative, like a drug in their system, and that somehow, some way, they feel fantastic once they've eaten certain foods. And so we can tell by the action of little babies, that they have this effect that Dr. Silkworth, and this effect is that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating certain foods, certain ingredients of food. For me, and I do not want to debate this later, I'm talking about for me, flour, dairy, sugar, anything fried, anything real crispy, anything like that, that's going to make me go nutsy cuckoo for the food. It is just going to put me in a position where I just can't resist it because of that effect. And once it's in my system, now I'm going to, I've triggered the physical allergy. I'm going to go more and more and more. But in order for us to really look at the problem, in order for us to really look at anything, the first thing that we need to do is we need to take a very honest assessment of 
of who we are so we know where we're going. If you don't know where you are, you can't know where you're going. If you've ever been to a shopping center, and I'm thinking that shopping centers in our lifetime might be a thing of the past because they're they're not doing well, that's for sure. And you, if you remember back at the shopping center, what's the first thing you notice? It says, you are here. So if you don't know where you are, you can't know how to get where you're going. And step three, the, 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 uh, the um, assessment that we're making of these character defects and step four, simply boiled down, they are an indication that you are here. So they tell us where we are so we know how to get where it is that we want to go. And in our zeal to overcomplicate things, and I won't mention any specific literature because then people will get offended, but in some of the literature that some of you are exposed to, it takes this step three and step four, and it does what Overeaters Anonymous does has done for generations. It overcomplicates it. Let's boil it down so that it's very, very simple. We are looking at selfishness. We looked at that first. What is selfishness? Selfishness is it's all about me. I want everybody to stick to my script. And I'm convinced that because one of the most important things that we see in our lives, in our soul, is we are very uncomfortable with the surrounding world that we were born into. We feel less than or superior to. We very seldom, if ever, feel equal to. We feel less than or we feel better than. We have an unwe, a discomfort. We have a a very, very deep-seated emotional uh, uh, discomfort with the world that we were born into. And we constantly look around and convince ourselves that if I were more like him, if I were more like her, if I had that kind of car, if I had that kind of house, if I had that kind of whatever, then suddenly my life would be catapulted into a better place. And the truth of the matter is we're living the lives as we are right now, where we have an opportunity to better ourselves, but the, the external world that we live in cannot give us relief from this disease. Our, our relief must come from a higher power. The last paragraph of chapter three tells us once again, the alcoholic has an illness which only a spiritual experience, or in my case, a spiritual awakening will conquer. I've never had a spiritual experience. A spiritual experience is very sudden, very profound. Mine is a spiritual awakening, which is slower in developing. Then we have self-seeking. What is the difference between selfish and self-seeking? Selfish is the script that I have in my head that says, if this person would do this, if that person would stop doing that, if those people over there would just quote unquote get it and do things my way, if only the Democrats, if only the Republicans, if only the independents, if only the government, whatever that may be, we are certain that if they acted differently, that we would have a better life. And the truth of the matter is, in most cases, 
this is insanity. This is pure, plain insanity. Because as my mother used to say to me, she used to say to me, a zoigetis, my son. What does a zoigetis, my son, mean? It means it's always something with you. You always seem to want something. There, first, it was silly putty. Then it was a bicycle. Then it was this. Then it was, you always seem to want something. And when you get it, you are only satisfied for a very, very short period of time. And then you want something else. All of a sudden, now you have to have something else. And this is what she said to me. And you know what? My mother might have been crazy, but she wasn't dumb. She was 100% correct. And none of those things, whether I got them or I didn't, none of them, and I, most of the time I did, but none of those things made my eating disorder go away. I've driven off the lot with brand new cars. I've, I've, I've bought condos and I've had whatever. None of it made a difference. Maybe it did for five minutes, 10 minutes, but you know, nothing stays exciting for very long. Things have a limited lifespan. So we have selfish, which is the script. Everything has to be about me. Self-seeking. These are the actions we take to get people to stick to our script. Maybe we'll be very nice to them. Maybe we'll be very mean to them. Maybe we'll give them the cold shoulder. You know, whatever that may be, we are master manipulators. We are master manipulators and we know just how to push the buttons of the people around us to get them to stick to our script. But oftentimes what happens is they see through us. And as people that see through us, they retaliate and they create pain and suffering for us because they don't like to be manipulated. If you're going to lie, and you're going to manipulate, for the love of God, don't do it in Overeaters Anonymous, because you can't lie to liars, and you can't manipulate manipulators. And this is a room full of liars and manipulators, whether you want to think so or not. This is a room of liars and manipulators. So this is a very tough place. It's a tough crowd to BS or to try to manipulate these people. So we've talked about selfishness. We've talked about self-seeking. And we look at the world and we say, if only, if only, if only, if only, and if only will not come. Because a zoigatis, it's always going to be something, isn't it? Let's go to the bottom of page 62. And we're going to dissect this paragraph, perhaps in a way that you've never dissected it before. And we're going to look at this in a way that I hope will be very, very helpful. Because all of our lives, we have figured out ways to get us where we want to be. And to one degree or another, these character defects of selfishness and self-seeking have worked to one degree or another, but they always seem to boomerang back around on us, didn't they? And all of a sudden, what was working at one point is not working anymore. People stopped allowing themselves to believe our baloney and things just went south very, very quickly. But let's take a look at this paragraph that begins with, this is the how and the why of it. First of all, we had a quit playing God. Let's stop right there. Well, let's continue. It says it didn't work. 
we have to stop playing God. And when we say playing God, what I mean is we have to stop thinking that we know what's best for anyone, including ourselves. We have to stop thinking that we know what's best for everybody, including ourselves. So we have to really believe that we do not know why Fred should stop picking his nose or why Susie over there should marry Mike or why my kids should get a different degree or why this one or that one. There's all kinds of lies that we tell ourselves in our tempestuous ego-driven uh, drive to control the world around us. We know what's best. Just ask me, I'll tell you. While my life is up in flames and I'm getting fatter and bigger and bigger and bigger and less healthy and less able to, to walk, to get in and out of a car, to wear clothes, to look good, to function in the world. But yet I think I have all the answers for everybody. And the truth of the matter is I don't. I have a very, very dear friend of mine. He lives in the Bay Area. <clears throat> very, very wealthy, very good boy. I love him. I've known him 50, almost 60 years. He's 400 pounds. He's dying. He's dying. I met up with him in Chicago. He was there visiting his mother. I was there for my high school reunion. And we spent some time together. He can barely walk. He can barely get out of a chair. But if I, when I mentioned in the past about doing what I do, he thought it was the dumbest, stupidest, most ignorant, idiotic idea he had ever heard. And every time I see him, he's bigger and bigger and bigger. You know what I can do about that? Recover, recover, and recover. There's nothing I can do about it. I can just recover myself. And just because I think I know what's best for another person, you know what? That's, that's not true. That's a lie that I tell myself. It's a lie that I tell myself. I don't know what's best for another person. Yes, on the surface, it would be so much better if he was healthier and he's diabetic and he's had two heart attacks and he has stints in his heart. He doesn't want to do this. There's nothing anyone can do. The only thing we can do is live our lives. The only thing we can do is live our lives. And I can either be at peace with that or not, but that's a choice. So I have to say, if someone else's recovery means more to me than it does to them, I'm the one in the Al-Anonic condition. I'm the one that better get my tuchus over to Al-Anon because I'm the one that's suffering. We have to quit playing God. It didn't work. I don't have the answers, not even for myself. Right now, I'm going through a period in my life where I am grieving the mortal loss of decades and decades of my life. You know, this disease doesn't just make me fat. This disease took everything away from me. And I am going through a lot of inventory work. I'm going through a lot right now to try to get in touch with the grief and loss of decades and decades of my life. 
I had a life such as it was that did not include things that I believed were, I was entitled to like kissing a girl or going on a date or going to a dance or having young American parents that were with it and, you know, that could leave me some money and maybe whatever. And I lost a lot of my life to this disease. But one of the things that keeps coming back is it is what it was. I can't control it. I survived it. And as it says in the, in the end of Moby Dick, I survived so I alone could tell thee. I alone can tell my story. And I have to understand that the pain that I suffered helps other people to live and grow. And maybe, 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 even though I'm 68 years old, whatever time I have left on the clock can be spent living a life that's really worth living. No, I'll probably never be wealthy. No, I'll probably never be a lot of things. But one of the things I am definitely is I'm alive. And there are people that were younger than me that I saw in the obituary column in the Chicago Tribune this morning. I'm alive. And one of the things I'm going to try my best to do is do what they told me as a child and what they told me as a child, Holocaust survivors that my father knew would grab my face like this and say, live until you die. And I'm going to do the best I can to live until I die. That's all I can control. I will never go back to high school and have some girl pass a note to me that says, you're cute and meet me behind the whatever and do whatever. They're not going to laugh at my jokes. They're not going to flip their hair and go cuckoo bananas when I'm around like they did my friends. I'm thinking to myself, he's not that funny. Why is she laughing so hysterically? I didn't get it. I didn't understand what the hell was going on. He's just not that funny. But the bottom line is they never laughed at my jokes. They never told me I was cute. They never told me anything like that because I was four times the size of anybody in my environment. So there's nothing I can do about that. But there is something I can do about today. And by living in today in recovery, I make a better tomorrow. One day there won't be a tomorrow for me. One day there'll be a day where I will not have a tomorrow, but I want to live right up to that point. And where that starts for me is to quit playing God. It's exhausting. It wore me out. I mean, it absolute, the disease is the most exhausting way of life imaginable. And when I have to run the world and I have to know everything, and of course, you know, I have to control everything in my mind that's going on. Of course, control is an illusion. Nobody has control over anything. Well, that's exhausting. I have so much more energy now. Holy mackerel. I never realized how heavy my luggage was until I let the bellboy carry it. Holy mackerel. When I put this load of garbage down, wow, I feel great. I feel better than I've ever felt before. That's fantastic. We have to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, not in a month, not in two months. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. Stop right there.
Go to a movie set, a TV show, whatever it is you want to go to. And who's in charge? The director. You go and you're crying because your mom and dad, their barn burned down and the dog ran away and you're crying and you're sad. Now you over there, you just fell in love with Juliet. You, Romeo, you're happy. That's the director's job. The director is there to direct. God is going to be the director. I don't have to direct. And notice that director is capitalized. Why is God capitalized? Why is director capitalized? Because he's talking about God. He is the principal. We are his agents. Stop right there. Now, some of you come from a business background. Some of you don't. I have a real estate license in the state of Arizona. Because what I do for a living, I do two things. But one of the things I do for a living is I work with a business broker. I get leads. And if we sell the business, I get a percentage of the commission. Now, one of the things that I have in the state of Arizona is called a fiduciary duty. What does that mean? That's a fun word to say, fiduciary. Drop that at your Thanksgiving dinner coming up next week. Try to find a way to drop the word fiduciary. What does it mean? It means I am legally obligated to put the needs of my client above the needs of myself. And so when God is the principal and I am his agent, I have an agency with God. What does that mean? If you have a realtor that sells your house, that realtor is obligated to do what you tell them to do unless what you tell them to do is illegal. So as long as your instructions are legal, they have to do what you have to do, do what you tell them to do. They are the agent you are the principal. So as the agent, I am obligated to do God's work. He is the principal and I am the agent. That means I have a fiduciary. I love saying that word. Stop me before I get addicted. But I have a fiduciary duty to put the needs and desires of God before my own. Do you honestly think that my life has ever gotten better when I get up in the morning? I want, I want, I want, I got to have, I want, I want. That's my disease talking. Everything is in capital letters with exclamation points after every word. I want, I got to have this, I got to have that. My mother told the story of the silly putty. And I yelled at her. I, I, I was screaming at her because she wouldn't get me silly putty. And at that moment, I believed that if I didn't have silly putty, that the world was going to come to an end. I was, I was telling this story the other day. I'll tell you this story again. I was probably 12. So it's 1966. And it was a Friday in the summertime. And my mother had pneumonia. She was in Bethesda Hospital. Bethesda Hospital is condominiums now. It's not even a hospital anymore. It wasn't much of a hospital then, but it's condominiums now. I wonder who got the one that with the big operating room or the waiting room. I, that would be the condo I'd most want because they're big, you know, and they're, they're well done. 
But anyway, maybe I'll have Melissa buy that for me one day. But anyway, the bottom line is, is that um, uh, my mother was in uh, Bethesda Hospital with pneumonia. And it was a Friday and we rode our bikes to McDonald's. There was a there is still a McDonald's right by my house. It's one of the first ones ever. McDonald's started in the McDonald brothers were in California, but Croc was a Chicagoan from Oak Park. So we rode our bikes over there and they had a giveaway. They had this big display. You could get a license plate for your bike. And they had the names on there, Ann and Amy and Andy and Alfred and, you know, all the way up to Zelda and Zebra and Aardvark or whatever they had. But they did not have a Harlan, no Harlan in sight. And all my friends gobbled up those license plates and they put them on their bike. And I was the only one in my little group that did not have a McDonald's license plate. And I was in tears on the way home. I was beside myself. I can still see the bike that I was riding then. I can still remember everything about that day. I'll probably never forget it. And I get back home and everybody went home for dinner. And I told my mother, she was in the hospital. I hope you die. I, you gave me that stupid name. I wanted another name. I don't like, I hate my name. We went to McDonald's and I'm the only kid on Albany street that doesn't have a McDonald's license plate. And my mother didn't miss a beat. She says, why are you going to McDonald's? I left you hamburger meat in the freezer. All you need to do is have your father thaw it out. And she, that's not the point. The point isn't the hamburger meat, Ma. The point is I'm the only kid on Albany that doesn't have a McDonald's license plate. How many of us in our ego, in our crazy ego-driven madness, madness, have done that to ourselves, mm -hmm. taking something completely insignificant, completely insignificant, something that if God has time can easily work it out. But in our ego-driven madness, we had to put our hands on it and straighten it out and fix it. And the more I try to fix something, the worse and worse it gets very, very quickly. So God is going to be the principal and I am his agents. Now, when I, I lived in Oregon for nine years. We started a little company up there, me and my friend. And when I left Oregon to move here to Arizona, the kids that worked for us, the, we had 30 or so employees at that time. They chipped in and they got me a personalized little license plate. And they gave that to me as I was leaving. I still have it here somewhere. I don't exactly know where it is, but I know it's here. And they bought me a license plate because all of them knew that story. I told it so many times. And they gave me that license plate. And I'll tell you, it was funnier and better than gold. It was so touching that they went to such lengths to get me a little license plate to take the place of that McDonald's license plate that I never could get. Anyway, that aside, little 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 stories, little snippets from my life. 
He is the father and we are his children. Notice that father and father and uh, yeah, his father and his are capitalized. Now, some of you and I can hear very well. Some of you say, well, my dad was a putz. My dad wasn't a putz. I'm talking about you in your brain are saying, yeah, but my dad was a bit of a putz. We're not talking about your earthly dad. We're talking about your heavenly dad. And some of you had dads that did bad things. <clears throat> and some of you had dads that were fantastic. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is we're talking about your heavenly father, the perfect dad, the dad that knows how to take care of you and does it every minute of every day. He is the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. Bill uses a lot of construction uh, examples. He had a background in stocks and bonds, but he also had a background in construction. He came from Vermont, and as a young boy, they, he did a lot of side jobs, little things for construction companies that were up there. So he uses a lot of arch and keystone examples and construction examples from his own life. Now we're going to go to the page 63, the very top. And this is the paragraph with the third step promises. These are the third step promises. And this is pure poetry. This is pure beauty. There are very, very few places in the world that a person could point to to find more beauty in the prose, in the words, than this next paragraph. It is just exactly as timeless today as it will be 20,000 years into the future. This paragraph is timeless when we sincerely took such a position, sincerely took such a position. In ancient Rome, there were sculptors that did sculpturing and they would take a piece of wax and if it was beautifully perfect, they would stamp on it sinacera, which meant without flaw, sinacera without flaw. And when we are sincere, we are going into it without reservation, without flaw. I can't really work the steps and say, God, take the food. I'll handle the money. I'll handle the romance or lack thereof. I'll handle the romance. Uh, I'll handle the whatever the health issues, you just take the food and uh, if you want to uh, get me a new car, whatever. No, it doesn't work like that. I'm in or I'm out. I'm pregnant or I'm not. I'm alive or I'm dead. That's how we have to be. When we sincerely, sincere, without flaw, without hesitation, took such a position. What position? What is he talking about? The position just described that God is the director, 
that he is the principal, we are his agent, that he is the father, and we are his children. This is the position that we are talking about. That no longer am I going to want to see myself as the grand, high, exalted, mystic ruler of the world. I am incapable of knowing what is best for anyone, including me. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. What kind of remarkable things followed? I am now starting to live a life that is more recovered, sane than I did before. I have a hula hoop around me that you can't see. My hula hoop is the is the barrier my hula hoop inside the hula hoop that's all the things i can control what i'm going to wear today it's it's game day so i wore my duck it says life took me to arizona but i'll always be a duck that's what it says on my shirt life took me to arizona but i'll always be a duck and i'm an oregon duck fan now, inside the hula hoop, I can control what I wear. I can control uh, whether I brush my teeth or not, whatever that may be, my hygiene, whatever. But outside the hula hoop, I am powerless. So the challenge of a sane life is stay in your hula hoop. Every single time I try to venture beyond my hula hoop, I get third degree burns. I am, not the, I am not the controller of the world. No way am I in control of the world. I say this to people all the time. Stay in your hula hoop. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed, which means all the things in the hula hoop are going to get much better. I don't have to take time, effort, attention, thought of all the externals. I don't have to worry about the weather in Korea. I don't have to worry about somebody in outer Mongolia is not behaving according to my script. It's beyond what I can control. I let it go. I let it go completely. I don't care. That's God's job. We had a new employer. Notice that employer is capitalized. Do you know where the word tenure comes from? In ancient Rome, if a man worked for you for 10 years and he died, you were responsible for his widow and children, minor children. And so the word tenure means 10 years. I am working for God. He has a responsibility to take care of me. I'm doing his work well. He is going to take care of me. Even if I don't do it very well, he's going to take care of me. But I'm not going to get quite the reward as if I do it really well. I'm not going to get the reward for it. We had a new employer. Being all powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him capitalized and performed his capitalized work well. 
<clears throat> if we kept close to him <clears throat> and performed his work well, what is the work that we're talking about here? Digging ditches? No. Cleaning up stalls from animals? No. Going to the zoo and 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 cleaning up the the uh, dung? No. What we're asking you to do is work the steps and help others. We're asking you to do what it is you said you wanted to do when we showed you the paragraph. If you want what we have and you're willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. We showed you that paragraph on page 58. You said you were in. You agreed that you were in rather than out. So we're going to assume that you were truthful, that you really are in rather than out. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. I get this question all the time. I don't want a sponsor. Can't I just be the treasurer of a meeting or be a moderator? Or can't I host a meeting? You could do all those things. Those are things that need to be done. But unless you're willing to get your hands dirty and sponsor, you're not working a 12-step program. You're working an 11-step program. You know, every time I speak to one of my sponsees at the end of the conversation, I say to them, thank you for helping God keep me out of the food for one more day. You know why I say that to them? Because they keep, they help God keep me out of the food for one more day. That's why. When they make that effort to call me, when they make that effort to get out of themselves and give me a phone call for those three, five, six minutes, whatever that takes to talk to the person, I am thinking less about me and more about them. And my God, it makes me feel better. One of the things that this disease brought into my life from a very, very early age on was self-doubt and self-hatred. I hated myself and I wanted to die. And I felt like there was no reason why I should try at anything because after all, I'm just going to fail. Why try? I'm just going to fail. So I gave up on everything. I gave up on everything. And I never got the results from the work I never did. I didn't do the long-term homework assignment. I didn't study for the test. But yet I was upset when I didn't know the answer. For five minutes, four minutes, six minutes, when I'm thinking about someone else, I feel better about who I am and self-loathing starts to abate. Self-loathing starts to recede when I can get out of myself and I can think about someone else for just those few minutes. I am doing the work that God has put in front of me when I sponsor because this is worthless unless you pass it on. That's why we want to get you through the steps as quickly as possible. Question that I always get asked, where does it say get through as quickly as possible? It doesn't. But what it shows you is two days and then they started going. And within a short period of time, they were sponsoring other people. 
when I have a protracted process where it's taking me months and months and months to get through the steps, that's when I'm in trouble. How long can I hold my breath underwater? Not long, not long. And in this self-loathing, it improves when I do self-esteemable activities like helping someone else with no expectation of a return. That is so foreign to my nature. That is so foreign to my nature to help another person and not be going quid pro quo. Quid pro quo is a legal term. It's Latin. And what it means is you do this and I'll do that. Quid pro quo has to go out the window and altruism has to take its place. Altruism is helping another person with no expectation of a return. Dr. Silkworth calls us an altruistic movement. The Oxford groupers practiced altruism, helping another person with no expectation of a return. I don't wanna live where if I catch my, a glimpse of myself in a mirror or a store window or a car window, that I despise what I see. I don't wanna live encased in a body and brain where I loathe myself, where I want death more than I want life. And the only path out of that for me is through working with others. And when God opens a door, he opens it all the way. My program gets better because I hear myself saying to that person the very thing that I need to hear. Nothing ensures immunity from drinking like intensive work with other alcoholics. Nothing ensures immunity from drinking like intensive work with other alcoholics. And when I do this, I am perfecting and enlarging my spiritual life. Now, I don't have, hopefully, a very superior attitude about myself that I'm better than you, but the most beautiful, the most comfortable, and the most productive posture is that I am equal to you, not better, not worse, equal to you. I am indeed what I've always wanted to be, another bozo on the bus. I don't have to be the fattest kid in the school. I don't have to be the dumbest or the smartest. I don't have to be the perfectionist that if I can't win, I don't want to play. If I can't be the best, I don't want to play. And I better know instantly how to play the piano, just like Tchaikovsky or just like whoever, and I've never taken a lesson in my life. I don't want to know that Harlan that I was that hated himself to that level, whereas I was shoving food down my throat. And when people would point out to me what I was doing for, to myself, I wanted to die. And inside I was saying, I hope you're right. I hope I drop dead tonight. I don't want to have those conversations with me anymore. I like being able to get up out of a chair. I like being able to get in and out of a car. I like that. It makes me feel good.
It makes me feel good when I finish my three miles in the morning. Six days a week, I walk three miles a day. And you know what? That's another reason why I don't loathe myself. Because I do those things to be a friend to me. I benefit tremendously from those things. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. Thanksgiving is just a few days from now. Many of you are going to call and ask, what can I do to get through Thanksgiving? Go to where you're going or host what you're hosting and look to give rather than take. Look to care about the people that you're with. Instead of being focused on the stuffing and the this and the that, focus on the people that you are with and you will find that your results will be life-giving. Focus on adding to it. I'm going to a place where there's going to be lots of people in their 80s and 90s. All I have to do is sit down and say, so what did the doctor say? I don't know the last time they've been to the doctor. They're in their 80s and 90s. What? All I got to do is say, so how was your surgery? How? What did the doctor say? I don't even have to know them. And they're going to go on a 25-minute thing about the doctor said this, and they should have gone to this doctor, and they went to that doctor. And it's going to take a half an hour. And I look at my watch, and after three or four of these sessions of what did the doctor say, it's time to go. And I never had to sit and talk about, and I want to I wanted this and I want that. And, uh, you know, I want this and I want to go here. And I, I didn't have to obsess about that. And I didn't have to evoke self-pity from anybody. I can be there and let them talk about their operations. And one day, if I get to be 80 or 90, which I don't know that I ever will, who knows? Maybe one day some person will say to me, so how was your operation? And I'll be able to tell them all about it. Get out of yourself, get out of yourself, get out of yourself. You want to find God? Look for God in the face of one of his children. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, he is here. Notice that his is capitalized, his presence. We began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. In every way that a human being can be reborn, I have been rearranged and altered and reborn. I have very few similarities with myself as a youth. I have the same name. I still don't have a McDonald's license plate. But I still have the same name and I have the same social security number. And my parents are still not Rob and Laura Petrie. They're still Max and Virginia Grabowski. And I still grew up on Albany Street in Rosemont and I still had a lot of memories, but I'm not the person that I was. I'm not. I don't have to be 
better than you. I don't have to be worse than you. And if you're female and attractive, I try not to be scared to death of you, although I'm less successful in that endeavor. But I can talk to all of you much easier than I can talk to one of you. But the bottom line is, is that I have a place in the world. It's not the place I would have wanted. I wanted to be wealthy and I wanted to be very important and I wanted to be the first baseman for the Cubs or the quarterback for the Bears or the middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears. I never got to be those things. But I am who I am and I'm okay. I'm a decent guy. Like me or not, here I am. And this is this is who I am. This is what I am. And so we were reborn has a lot of meaning to me because I see things very, very differently than I did so many years ago when I waddled into a meeting at 500 plus pounds, farting and crapping in my pants and pissing in my pants with no money. I had my car repossessed twice. I paid cash for the car that's outside my house. I went in, I saw the car I wanted, I bought it, I wrote them a check. They checked me out, I drove the car home, no payments, no nothing. I don't have a fancy house. My house is very, very, very modest, but it's mine. This wall over here belongs to me. If I wanna drill into it, spit on it, pee on it, whatever, it's my wall. I can do anything I want to it. It's mine. Now I pay my mortgage, but that's fine. I don't owe anybody a cent. Now I do owe a mortgage that every month I owe a mortgage. That's fine. I have no credit card debt. I have no debt of any kind, none, zero. And I walk the streets a free man. I used to lie when the truth would have served me better. I manipulated people. I did a lot of very bad things. I was not nice to my mother. I was not nice to my mother at all. I blamed her for everything. I don't have to blame her anymore. She's been dead for 46 years. And the freshness date on my unhappy childhood has expired. It's time for me to stand on my own feet and say, mom and dad, you did the best you could. I'll take it from here with God. The third step is not where we turn anything over to God. It is an agreement, a decision to do so. And how do we turn things over to God? By doing the rest of the steps. Now. Before we go, I'm going to turn it back over to Maria. But before I do that, I'm going to um, remind you that on page, on page, <laughs> on December 9th, 10th, and 11th, I will be in White Plains, New York. And I will be there doing Big Book. So if you are in that area and you have not registered already, please do. We would love to see you. It would be fantastic to see you. 
And I am not, um, I don't have, I know there's somebody on here that has the information they can post on the chat. I don't have it or I, I don't know how to do it. When I do it, all that comes up is the picture, but the, it doesn't come up the rest of it. So I'm doing, obviously I'm doing it wrong. So also the OA birthday. What the heck is going on with you guys? Register for the birthday. Come on, Los Angeles, California, 13th, 14th, 15th of January. We're gonna have a good time. We're gonna learn things. We're gonna have a life-changing convention. We have been without each other in person for a several years. Come on, what are you scared of? Come to the OA birthday, register oabirthday.com. If that's not working, 